0: Welcome to Current, a no-nonsense current event show with facts and opinions that are both
1: educational and entertaining. Now, your host of Current, Valerie Hayes. Welcome to Current Talk Radio. Current is a show that was created for you to help you get the information you need to develop you know, your own opinion. Because often when you're watching the news, you're confused and a little overwhelmed by shows that tell you what happened, but not really why. You know, the incidents that led up to what we're seeing on the news. And without that background and information, it's just impossible to develop an opinion of your own. So Current is an opportunity for you to get the information that goes beyond the headlines and the quick sound bites so that you can get all of the background and info to develop your own informed opinion. And earlier this week, you probably saw in the news that the Supreme Court ruled on yet another law that we've seen come and go kind of over time regarding abortion. Ever since the landmark ruling of Roe v. Wade in 1973, abortion has continued to be a hotly debated national topic as well as state topic. And this week's ruling, uh, was about a Texas law that the High Court determined to be burdensome, quote unquote, bur- burdensome. That ruling continued the back-and-forth conversation about limiting or increasing access to abortion. Well, on today's show, I'm going to walk you through the basic history of Roe v. Wade, uh, the constitutional issues involved with that original ruling, as well as how the issue of abortion has evolved since 1973, and what issues continue to be evolving in our conversation about the legality of and access to abortion. Then, a little later in the show, I'm going to be talking about a related issue, which is access to birth control. Access, especially for those under the age of 18, and the Obamacare requirement for health care to be provided, um, for health care programs to provide birth control at no cost to people Who are covered by healthcare. So today's show is really uh, a lot about reproductive issues for women and I know that you're going to find it just as interesting and informative as it can be and I hope it helps you to develop your own opinion. So let's jump right in and talk about the topic of abortion. It's interesting because this is not only a topic that we see being discussed here in the United States but it's also a uh, topic that's being discussed in countries all over the world. Um, Ever since abortion, was legalized or Abortion wasn't really legalized. The laws banning abortion were determined to be unconstitutional, but in essence, and in reality, it legalized abortion. Ever since the laws have been legalized in the United States, um, there's been a continuing national conversation here. And what's interesting to note is that countries all over the world continue to grapple with this very same topic of abortion, whether everyone should have access to abortion, whether there should be limits put in place, um, should it be controlled by what crime. The birth mother is in and so on and so forth. So let's, um, before we jump in on the details of the conversation, let's put a framework around the topic of abortion so we understand what the overall kind of two conflicts are that we're really arguing about. What we're really arguing about here or discussing is a woman's right to privacy. Notice I didn't say a parent's Right to privacy. I said a woman's right to privacy. A woman's right to privacy versus the government's responsibility to protect the innocent or those unable to protect themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, and I'm sure you've heard President Obama say this and President George Bush say this. Um, one of the government's primary responsibilities for existing is to defend and protect its citizens, defend and protect its citizens. So that doesn't mean just in times of war, um, for example, you know, during World War II, defend and protect uh, the country. You know, we had been attacked at Pearl Harbor. But it also means create laws that defend and protect citizens in their everyday lives. So we have laws that, uh, criminalize theft and burglary, defend and protect. We have laws that, um, criminalize murder, uh, DWI, uh, manslaughter, those kinds of things. So the government has responsibility to create laws and then enforce those laws that protect its citizens. And one of the arguments or conversations about government creating um, laws that restrict or limit access to abortion is that the government has a responsibility to protect women, the birth mother. In other words, the government has a responsibility to make sure that abortion clinics are run in a safe manner so that if they do have a medical procedure, including an abortion at the clinic, that it is uh, conducted in a safe manner and doesn't damage the or endanger the life of the birth mother. Um, or the mother, I guess I don't know if birth mother is correct there. That's one of those things, right? Um, and then also that the government has a right to protect the innocent or those unable to speak for themselves. We commonly think of um, those types of laws as laws that are put in place to uh, protect the intellectually disabled. You know, they're they're not able to understand things. Maybe they're not able to read and write. Maybe they're not able to uh, manage their finances. So the government puts uh, laws and programs in place to protect those people who are unable to speak out or make decisions that would enable them to protect themselves. In this case, regarding abortion, obviously, the concept is that the government has a responsibility to protect the quote-unquote rights of a quote-unquote unborn child. And I'll explain those quote-unquotes in a minute. But let's talk about the facts of the case. In June of 1969, a woman who took on the name of Jane Rowe, that was not her real name, discovered that she was pregnant with her third child. She um, was in Dallas at the time, and in Dallas, Texas, the laws at those at that time um, limited abortion to only cases of rape and incest, only cases of rape and incest. So she went to uh, a doctor requesting uh, an abortion to be performed, claiming that she had been raped. However, that kind of Quickly thereafter was proven not to be the case because there was no police reports documenting the alleged rape. Um, but she she attempted to obtain the abortion. Uh, the doctor declined to pr- perform the alleged uh, the abortion because there was no alleged rape, and she approached two attorneys, um, asking them to bring a case for her, claiming that she should have access to an abortion. So in 1970. Right. So in June of 69. Right. She approached the the. she learned she was pregnant and tried to get an abortion in 1970. Do the math. Six months later. Right. Uh, two attorneys argued her case in U.S. District Court, and they argued that she should have had access to um, the abortion because it was her right to choose to end a pregnancy that was happening in her body. At the time that the case was argued, it's important to note that Jane Roe, uh, again, that's not her real name, Jane Roe was actually no longer pregnant. She had given birth to a child, which had then been put up to adoption. But the case moved forward because the courts uh, determined that this was the kind of situation that could happen again in the future a woman become pregnant and want to end her pregnancy and that it was time to review whether or not laws restricting abortion were or were not constitutional. So in June of 1970 almost a full year after she attempted to receive an abortion um, the judges in the district court, district court is one level below the Supreme Court um, unanimously agreed in a 3-0 to ruling, so all three judges agreed that the Texas law was unconstitutional and they found that it violated the right to privacy in the Ninth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution states that citizens have a right to privacy within their own home. Or their own person, you know individual body type person, and that the government cannot make laws which really invade that right to privacy. Remember at the time that the Constitution was adopted, this was a time when Great Britain was um, had just completed a war with the United States and that King George had been violating individual rights and privileges of people, so they were bursting into people's home and searching for evidence without a warrant. They were billeting or um, requiring colonists to let members of the British Army stay and live in their homes, um, kind of because there weren't enough homes for the soldiers to stay in and in order to keep an eye on the colonists. So there was this Ninth Amendment which protected the rights of the U.S. citizens that the government cannot just invade your home without a warrant. They just kind of burst in. They can't find out what religion you're practicing. They can't find out what kind of books you're reading. They can't find out how you're disciplining your child, assuming there's no physical harm. They can't find out what you're thinking and doing. Um, It's not their right. So the court found that it violated a woman's right to privacy. Um, It also indicated that they were not going to grant an injunction against enforcement of the law. And so the case moved on to the Supreme Court. And so then they re-argued the whole thing with the exact same arguments to the Supreme Court. In 1973, the court ruled in a seven to two ruling. So seven justices were in support or agreement with the ruling and two dissented. What's interesting about it is uh, the Supreme Court did not hold that their ruling was based on the right to privacy clause found in the Ninth Amendment, but that it was based on due process clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. And that states that the government cannot withhold a right or sever a right without due process. In other words, without an ability to um, impact that decision or protest that decision. And they... The ruling was kind of strange. It said that it was a violation of the due process clause because laws banning abortion prevented a doctor to make a medical decision that was in the best interests of its client or its patient, so that laws banning abortion were unconstitutional because it prevented the doctor from the ability to determine whether or not a medical abortion was appropriate. Remember, those abortion laws were put in place because of rape or incest. The only exception was rape or incest. At that time, there was not a medical exception for life of the mother, Right. That continuing the pregnancy, uh, that the pregnancy was not necessarily viable or that the pregnancy was causing a medical condition that a child may not be born, but the mother might die or that a child might be born, but the mother also might die. So there was no um, medical abortion right of the mother life of the mother kind of clause. So they um, ruled that uh, the. Abortion laws were in violation of the Due Process Clause because it didn't allow physicians to make a medically-based decision for the life of the mother. And then it also ruled for right to privacy, but the Supreme Court, in a kind of quirky ruling, stated that the right to privacy was inherent in the 14th Amendment and that they didn't need to rely to the right to privacy comment in the 9th Amendment, which is really, really strange, but basically the ruling is that because a woman... Um, is in her own body, in her own self, and has a right to determine what she does or does not do to her own body in her own self, as long as it doesn't necessarily negatively physically impact others, that she has a right to do that. So if she wants to pierce her ears, she can pierce her ears. If she wants to get a tattoo on her ankle, she can get a tattoo. If she wants to dye her hair chartreuse, she can dye her hair chartreuse. And if she wants to terminate a pregnancy, which is, in um, the view of the, the court, just another procedure that she's performing on her body, that she has a right to do so. But they did balance that with the right of the uh, innocent or unborn child. And let's look at that further. So what the court said that the states are forbidden from writing a law that outlaws or regulates any aspect of abortion performed during the first trimester. So what the court held in 1973 was that without question during the first trimester, the first three months of the pregnancy, that the woman's the tissue in the woman's body was part of the woman. It was not actually an individual child or human being that needed to be protected or had a right to be protected by the Constitution. So states could not enact any laws outlying or reg- outlawing or regulating any aspect of abortion during the first trimester. But it could enact regulations that were reasonably related to the health of the mother in the second and third trimesters, so you know, medical uh, life of the mother kind of things. And it could also enact abortion laws protecting the life of the fetus in the third semester. So at the time of the ruling in 1973, um, you could there were no laws that could restrict life of a uh, no laws that could restrict abortion during the first trimester, first three months. In the second three months, they could only put restrictions in place if it related to the life of the mother, and uh, they could only enact abortion laws that protected the life of the fetus in the seventh, eighth, and ninth month. Why did they say that? Because in 1973, medical science had only um, evolved so far in that that babies that were born prior to the seventh month were born so prematurely that medical science could not sustain them, and so they could not live outside the womb. The fetus was not viable outside the womb. That's a phrase that you hear. So that's why they said that really from the seventh, eighth, and ninth month that the fetus was viable and therefore was a a child or a human being and had the rights to the protection of the U.S. Constitution um so that was a real interesting ruling that the court sort of defined that a fetus became a child or a human being with full rights and protections of the constitution once the fetus was seven eight or nine months along but prior to that was not really a child or a human being it was really part of tissue of the mother's body was not viable outside the womb and therefore did not receive protection the court further. Further ruled that the Texas statute, the one that said that no one could get an abortion except in the case of incest um, or rape, violated Jane Roses constitutional right to privacy. It argued that the right to privacy is in the Constitution's Fifth, Fourth, Ninth, and Fourteenth Amendments, and that it cre- and those amendments together protect an individual's zone of privacy. Zone of privacy, and it stated that the zone of privacy includes marriage. Contraception, child rearing activities, you know, this could include discipline, um, perspectives. So marriage contraception and child rearing activities create, are covered in this zone of privacy and that the zone of privacy was broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate or end her pregnancy. And they further defined, as I've stated, that prenatal life, they didn't call it a fetus, they didn't call it a child, they called it prenatal life, was not within the definition of persons as used in the Constitution, and because prenatal life was not within the definition of persons as used and protected in the U.S. Constitution, um, that abortion was not murder, as we find in the Constitution. Um, However, the court also ruled that narrower state laws regulating abortion would be acceptable under the Constitution. For example, because the medical community finds um, that a, a human fetus might be viable, at that point it was after the sixth month of life, a state could constitutionally protect a fetus from abortions in the third trimester, months seven, eight, and nine, as long as it was permitted, um, and they also made exceptions to save the life of the mother, so if the li- if the mother was um, in the seventh, eighth, or nine month, which would normally be protected because it was a viable fetus, but the risk of the the mother's risk, life was at risk, and there was a possibility um, that she might die, that uh, the mother and physician could end the, the pregnancy during that period of time, um, Additionally, because second and third tr- abortions present more of a health risk to the mother, it's more invasive of a procedure during the second and third trimesters. The court ruled in 1973 that the state might regulate certain aspects of abortions to make sure that clinics were performing them in a way that was safe and protected m- maternal health in that second and third um, trimester. And also it further ruled that in the first trimester, a state could regulate abortions in a way that was found important and required to provide a safe em- environment for those first trimester abortions. What that essentially means is that it was okay to apply Regular medical clinic types of regulations, you know, these uh, instruments need to be sterilized. There needs to be these kinds of medications available, uh, painkillers, blood clotting things, those kinds of things. So although the court did overturn the laws banning abortion in 1973, they did rule that it was okay for states to enact laws that would, um enable any abortions that were performed to be done in a medically correct way, in a safe way, that provided the best possible protection to the mother who was undergoing what is considered to be a medical procedure. So that is the basic history of Roe versus Wade. It's super complicated. Um, also very, very interesting. It's time for a quick break. After the break, I'm going to walk you through what's happened since 1973, how that original ruling and some of the little tweaky little parts of that ruling have impacted the laws that we keep seeing popping up today and why this is an issue that just won't go away. So stay tuned and I'll be right back here on Current Talk Radio. Are you entering your first pageant and feeling a little nervous about the pageant interview? Or are you an experienced contestant but feel that your pageant interview scores don't reflect your true abilities? Do you want to develop a winning pageant interview that reflects your personal style and puts you over the top? I'm Valerie Hayes, and I'm an award-winning pageant coach who has a proven track record of coaching contestants and developing the public speaking skills necessary to impress the judges. I've created a variety of options just for you, including DIY Coach Yourself at Home materials, teleseminars, workshops, and VIP private coaching to help you develop your winning pageant interview. Interview. You'll learn the techniques that professional speakers, spokesmodels, and even politicians and press secretaries use to come across as confident and informed every time. Plus, I'll teach you how to handle trick questions and to seed the interview so that you get questions that highlight you as the obvious choice for the title. So visit my website, ValerieHayes.com, and click on the VIP coaching tab today, and we'll get started on working towards your crowning moment.
0: Are you looking for couture jewelry to create your winning look? Internationally known pageant jewelry designer Stephanie Summers has been creating crowning looks for elite contestants across all the major pageant systems for over a decade. Whether you select a custom piece of jewelry handcrafted to match your wardrobe exactly or you wear something special from Stephanie's new affordably priced trifles collection, you'll stand out as a contestant who's ready to wear the crown. Why spend all that money on a great gown and then wear run-of-the-mill jewelry? Visit www.stephaniesummers.com today and let her create the jewelry of your dreams. Did you know that your pageant paperwork is the secret
1: to impressing the judges before you even walk into the interview room? It's true. Your pageant paperwork really is the foundation of your pageant interview. With my Rock Your Contestant Bio DIY coaching resource, you'll learn to avoid the most common paperwork mistakes and establish yourself as a leading choice for the title. Just visit my website today at www.ValerieHays.com and click on the Rock Your Bio tab. A great contestant bio is the first step towards your crowning moment
0: hollywood fashion tape the star's secret to looking perfectly put together is also the favorite fashion solution company for the pageant world the creators of the original hypoallergenic double stick tape used to prevent wardrobe malfunctions hollywood fashion tape also offers a wide assortment of clever problem solving products designed to give you a competitive edge on stage or off From our guaranteed no-show concealers to our never-fail breast lift tape, we've got you covered. Visit HollywoodFashionTape.com and see how you can have the same confidence the stars have when walking your red carpet.